0: Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive, back behind where they're building the new townhomes on Early Boulevard in Early. We hope to meet you this morning, but if not, maybe some Sunday in the future. I also would like to let you know of a couple of resources available for you. First of all, our blog is at pointtolife.wordpress.com. Point to life.wordpress.com. There we post daily devotional thoughts and previews of the upcoming sermon series. We also have a Facebook page, Facebook.com slash point to life. There you can also catch up with the devotional thoughts, the sermon series, and you can also see what's going on at Life Point Baptist Church. Facebook.com slash Point2Life, go there, and we would really appreciate it if you'd like us on Facebook. Turning your Bibles with me to Ezra chapter 4, Ezra chapter 4, we'll be reading the entire chapter, Ezra chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. In Ezra chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build it unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, In the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabeel, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Rahum, the chancellor, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, in this sort. Then wrote Rahum, the chancellor, and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their companions the Danaiites, the Avarshashites the Tarpalites the Amphorcites the Archivites the Babylonians the Susenchites, the Dehavites and the Elamites and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Asnapper brought over and set in the cities of Samaria and the rest that are on this side the river and at such a time This is the copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king. Thy servants, the men on this side of the river, and at such a time, be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof, and joined the foundations. Be it known now unto the king that, if this city be builded and the walls set up again, Then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so thou shalt endanger the revenue of the kings. Now because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we sent and certified the king. That search may be made in the book of the records of thy fathers, so shalt thou find in the book of the records, and know that this city is a rebellious city, and hurtful unto kings and provinces, And that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, for which cause was this city destroyed? We certify the king that, if this city be builded again, and the walls thereof set up, by this means thou shalt have no portion on this side of the river. Then sent the king an answer unto Rahum the chancellor, and to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwell in Samaria, and unto the rest beyond the river. Peace, and at such a time... The letter which ye sent unto us hath been plainly read before me. And I commanded, and search hath been made, and it is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll, tribute, and custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, that this city be not builded, until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to hurt of the king? Now when the copy of the king Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum and Shemshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Here in the book of Ezra, the Israelites are returning to Israel after a 70-year captivity in Babylon. The Israelites had spent generations committing idolatry, and we've talked about on this program how that idolatry included uh, child sacrifice, sexual immorality, rampant and grotesque sin. And so when we talk about idolatry in the Bible, we're not talking about incense candles and little gold statues. We are talking about acts of gross immorality, and acts of blatant sin against God. Israel did this for generations as God warned them to repent, but they never repented. And so their idolatry resulted in two things. One, it resulted in God allowing the Babylonians to come up to take them into captivity. And two, their rampant sin rendered them incapable of defending their nation when the Babylonians came along. And so Israel had been taken into captivity into Babylon where they were for 70 years until the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon and the Persian Empire took over the city of Babylon. And so after the Persian Empire took over the city of Babylon, God stirred the spirit of Cyrus to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city. See, God's favor Upon the Israelites didn't go away just because he was having to discipline them and use the captivity to transform them from being idolaters to being once again the people of God. He worked through that captivity to transform his people into the people he intended on them being. And so when it was time for the captivity to end, God moved upon the heart of Cyrus to send the people home. And as he sent them home, Reconstruction began on the city of Jerusalem, and everything was fine then. But the second reconstruction began on the temple, opposition arose. You see, God's favor upon the Israelites was well documented. From the fall of Jericho, where they marched around the city, and then God made the walls to fall down, to the battles against the Philistines. In fact, you even read in the book of 1 Samuel that when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp of the Israelite army the Philistines feared because they felt that God's presence would be among the Israelites and they knew that they were going to die. They wound up beating the Israelites that day taking the Ark of the Covenant captive but then that wound up being a curse on the Philistines. So everybody knew about God's favor upon the Israelites and the people that were in the land the tribes that the Assyrians and the Babylonians had moved into the land of Israel after the Israelites captivity they knew that if the Israelites rebuilt the city of Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple that God would once again bless the Israelites and if God blessed the Israelites they would be toast but the battle and the struggle that the Israelites face here in Ezra chapter 4 is not so much a physical battle but it's a spiritual battle and you will find that this happens in our lives as well. As we return to the Lord, we return to his presence, we start doing the Lord's will in our lives, we'll find opposition. And it's important to understand that this opposition is a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, "'For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, "'but against principalities, against powers, "'against the rulers of the darkness of this world,' against spiritual wickedness in high places. This entire world is under spiritual influence. Some people are influenced and led by the Holy Spirit. Others are influenced by Satan and demonic forces. But this entire world is under spiritual influence. Now the entire world does not realize it's under spiritual influence, but the entire world is under spiritual influence. So regardless, Of the tangible things that we see, conflict and opposition that we face in our lives is not personal. It's spiritual. And when you understand that the conflict and the strife and the trouble that you see in your life, when you understand that this is a spiritual struggle and not merely a personal or physical struggle, then you can see the overall perspective of things, and you can see God's will in it. Furthermore, when you see struggle and conflict and strife and problems in your life as a spiritual battle and not a personal or a physical battle, it makes the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ better to understand, better to comprehend, and easier to follow. For example, the, the commandment that Jesus gave to love our enemies— Now, you look at your enemies in life, you look at your opponents, you look at those who are constantly throwing a monkey wrench into your life, and you say, how can I love that person? This person has done nothing more than cause me grief from day one. How can I love this person? When you see your conflict with them as a spiritual battle as opposed to a personal battle, then you see the difference between what is influencing them and what is influencing you and once you can see that difference once you can see that their opposition of you is not a personal opposition to you it is not a personal attack to you it's not a physical battle but that they are following their spiritual influence while you follow yours once you're able to separate that then you can love the person who is under demonic or satanic influence while still waging the battle against them. Because you're not wrestling against their spirit, against them, you're wrestling against the spiritual forces that influence them. And when you have that agape love toward your enemies, where you separate them from the spiritual influences that guide them, then you can see how you can have hope for their redemption. And so we have to see our struggles as spiritual struggles. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The world is under spiritual influence. Some under the influence and leadership of the Holy Spirit, others by demonic influence. So just as the people of the land did not want to see the temple built because they were in opposition of the God to whom this temple would be built, Satan does not want you to be right with God. Satan is a destroyer. Satan is one who wants to destroy God's creation and render God's creation incapable of glorifying God because Satan, having already been defeated by God, hates being reminded of God's greatness, of his power, of his glory. So he wants to remove all reminders of God's glory and all reminders of God's existence. Satan will oppose your spiritual walk. He will work through infiltration and discouragement. He will work through false accusation and reminders of the past. And, unfortunately, he will work through brute force. So let's talk about infiltration and discouragement. We look in verses two through three here in Ezra chapter four. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. The people of the land, these are pagan idolaters. These are people who are still engaged in the immoral acts that we discussed earlier today and on previous shows. These pagan idolaters, now they may or may not have sacrificed to God. They may or may not have added God to their shelf of different gods that they worshiped and paid homage to. But these idolaters who were still committing idolatry, who were not part of the nation of Israel, they wanted to take part in the building of the temple. And had the Israelites allowed these idolaters to take part in the building of the temple, then they would have had suggestions for the building of the temple. They would have suggested that other altars be built. They would have uh, protested when the permission to build those other altars would have been turned down. There would have been a problem. And mixing paganism... And the worship of God was what got Israel exiled in the first place. You read the book of Ezekiel, and in the book of Ezekiel, there's one chapter where God literally picks up Ezekiel by the hair of his head and carries him through the temple showing Ezekiel, the idolatry that was taking place in the temple, the women in the gate of the temple who were weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz was a God who was born in the spring and died in the fall. And in the fall, you would mark his death from fall into winter. You would mark his death by morning. This is a false God that did not even exist. They were having worship for him in the temple court. Uh, God took Ezekiel into an inner room or a lower level room in the temple where they were worshiping the, the beast, the, uh, the different types of beasts, different types of animals, different types of bugs, different uh, idolatrous gods. They were worshiping this in a room inside the temple. That was going on back in the book of Ezekiel. There was, the, uh, there was the image of abomination that was in the temple court at one point. There was so much idolatry going on in the temple back in Ezekiel's day that God said that he was driven from the temple, that he couldn't even be in there. There wasn't room for him in there anymore. And that was why, one of the reasons why, God allowed the Israelites to be taken into captivity. And the people rebuilding the temple in Ezra's day understood this. And they understood that mixing idolatry and the worship of God would result in further destruction. So they turned them down. Given the actions of these men later on in the chapter, the actions of the uh, people, the idolaters, the pagans here in this chapter, given the actions that they undertake later on in this chapter, we get the idea that these were not guys who were seeking God and seeking his direction and seeking to convert. These were guys who were there to disrupt and to undermine the work of the Lord. When you really try to live for God. When you turn your life over to the Lord, when you purpose in your heart to follow God's purpose for your life, Satan will try to undermine you and he will send influencers to lead you away from God's will. Do you ever notice that when you con- when you commit yourself to God, when you commit yourself to God's will, someone comes along and disrupts things. Someone comes along to lead you astray they they come along trying to tempt you to sin now this also happens in dieting where you're trying to go on a diet and lose weight and somebody comes along and says hey i just bought uh, a whole bunch of ice cream would you like to go eat it with me you know i mean that happens and you know, depend, I don't know what your spiritual situation is, but typically eating ice cream is not a spiritual problem. I could see how it could be, but typically eating ice cream is just eating ice cream. But when you're trying to turn away from sin, when, when you're a new convert and you just trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all of a sudden your friends want to know why you're not partying with them anymore or maybe your friends are going to a concert of a rock band that you really, really enjoyed, but you don't want to go there because you don't want to be distracted by that. You want to focus on your new faith in Christ. You know, I mean, things like this come along, and the things that that they distract you with or tempt you with may not in and of themselves be sin, but they ultimately become tools to pull you out of God's will, and then that's a problem, that does become sin. And so, whenever you want to commit yourself to God, Someone comes along, people come along, things come along that distract you, that steal your time, and steal your energy. And this happens in church as well. As God begins to move in a church, and its ministries begin to come alive, Satan often sends his messengers to church to infiltrate that church, to undermine that church, and to distract that church. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. The Bible, this is Jesus talking in Matthew 13, 31 through 32. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds but when it is grown it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now the popular telling of that parable that Jesus gave of the mustard seed. The popular telling of that is that it represents the kingdom, and the kingdom, it starts out with the seed, and the seed is planted, and it grows into this great mighty oak, and it's so beautiful that the birds of the air come and build their nest, and they start singing, and it's a beautiful thing. And that's a a beautiful story. But when you study the parables of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 13, you go to the book of Mark, and you coincide this along with the telling of the parables in Luke Uh, Jesus starts telling the parables with the parable of the sower. And he says, a sower went forth to sow. And as he sowed, and I'm paraphrasing, some of the seed fell upon thorny ground, some on stony ground, some fell by the wayside, and some fell on good ground. And if you remember that, that fell by the wayside was the fowl of the air came and devoured it. And the disciples said, Explain this parable to us, and Jesus said, Do you not understand this parable? If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all parables? And in saying that he was telling the disciples that the parable of the sower was the key to understanding all the parables. So what you do is you look at the parable of the sower, see what the things in the what the elements in the parable of the sower represented. And you can take those elements and transition those to other parables. So the man who went forth to sow is the son of man. The seed is the good word, the gospel. Okay? In the parable of the sower, the birds of the air, the fowl of the air, represented the enemy who stole the word from the heart of the hearer, before it had time to take root. So we take that concept of the birds representing Satan and his demons and we apply that to the grain of mustard seed, which grows up to be the greatest among herbs and becometh the trees so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. What this is telling us is that as the kingdom of God grows and as it becomes more influential, the birds, the evil one, Satan and his messengers come along to see if they can pollute it. Satan's messengers are everywhere God's kingdom work is being accomplished. And so when you're following the Lord's will and you are running into problems, you're running into distractions, you're running into hurdles, this should, not be a, this should not be a surprise to you because this is how Satan works. Satan has no interest in messing with the drug addict who's laying in the gutter about to die. Satan has already destroyed that person. Satan wants to destroy the person who will honor and glorify God. And so anywhere God is being honored and glorified and anywhere his kingdom work is being done and great things are happening for the Lord, Satan is there trying to figure out how to undermine the whole thing. So be prepared for opposition. Don't be discouraged by opposition. Now we go on to verses 4 and 5 here in Ezra chapter 4. And the Bible says, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah, And troubled them in building, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. When infiltrating didn't work, the people of the land actively discouraged and frustrated the Israelites from rebuilding. They sabotaged the rebuilding effort, they troubled them in building, they weakened their hands, they hired counselors. Counselors. These are consultants. These are guys that show up with the clipboard and the little name badge and the hard hat and they want to tell you how to do the work, right? Um, They take all many forms. Sometimes they're construction consultants. Sometimes they're city inspectors. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We we, we love our city officials here. But anyway, but these are consultants. In Ezra chapter 4, they hired. Counselors, these are consultants who made the job harder and more expensive. What these guys did was they would show up to the construction site and they would say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. That's not the right kind of brick. That's not the right kind of wood. You can't assemble it that way. You have to try this other technique over here. And that other technique that they would be promoting would be a more expensive technique and it would be less effective, and there would be errors in construction. Any contractor will tell you that change orders can cause problems in the construction process. And so these guys were coming along trying to get the Israelites to implement a bunch of change orders. And these counselors were very persistent in doing so. When you give your life to God, when you commit yourself to his plan and his purpose for you, Satan will do everything he can to discourage you and to frustrate you. He will throw up roadblocks. He will send in folks with bad advice. He will try to sabotage your efforts. Regardless of all this, stay faithful. Remember that the battle is the Lord's, and he'll fight that battle for you. Remember that this is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle, but this is a spiritual battle. You're not battling the person in front of you. You're battling the spiritual influence the demonic or the satanic influence that they are following, and many times they don't even know they're doing that. And sometimes the people that do this think that they're following the Lord's direction when they're really not. I mean, there's a lot of confusion that happens on the spiritual plane. So when you're in these situations, do what Jesus said. Love your enemies and allow that battle to be waged in the spiritual realm. Now, when Satan tries to discourage you, He will often do so through false accusations and reminders of the past. We look in verses 6 and 13 of Ezra chapter 4 here. In verse 6, the Bible says, And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And so they're trying to get the king involved here, and they know exactly what to tell the king to get him involved. They said, Be it known now unto the king that if this city be builded and the wall set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, so that thou shalt endanger the revenue of the kings. They were making a false accusation that the Israelites were planning a rebellion against the Persians. And to support this claim, they pointed out how in the past, Israel had been at war with foreign kings. In verse 15, they say that search may be made in the book of the records of thy father, so shalt thou find in the book of the records and know that his city is a rebellious city and hurtful unto kings and provinces, and that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, for which cause was the city destroyed. These guys, to support their false accusations of insurrection, went back in the history books and saw where the current Israelites' great, Grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers had rebelled against kings. And they're dredging up things from the past to support a false accusation today. When you live for God, your character will come under assault. People will accuse you of believing in things that are disgusting. People will accuse you of supporting things. People will assault your character. They will try to make you out to look like a backwoods, stuck-in-the-mud hillbilly who is a bigot. They will come up with every name in the book to call you. And not only that, but when you follow the Lord, Satan will remind you of your sinful past. He will remind you of your sinful past in order to discourage you and to make you feel bad about yourself. Have you ever been driving down the road or reading your Bible or watching a TV show and suddenly remember something awful about your past? And maybe it was something you did. Maybe you did something awful in your past. Maybe there's a sin that you're particularly ashamed of. And for no apparent reason... You're reading your Bible, you're driving, you're in church, you're you're doing your daily life, and the memory of this thing just comes back out of nowhere. Um, Psychologists call that being triggered. It's when something in your environment reminds you of something bad. Now, maybe this is something you did, or maybe it was something done to you and you weren't at fault and this wasn't your sin, but either way, whatever happened to you is strong enough on you that it makes you question your worth. Satan works through these reminders to discourage your path and to discourage you. But you are not defined by your past. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you've turned from your sins and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you may have been a sinner at one point in your life, But you have been cleansed and set apart and saved. And that old sinner that you were redeemed from being is not who you are anymore. And God doesn't see you that way anymore. So what we learn from Ezra chapter 4 is when we start doing the Lord's work and we really start living for God, Satan will show up and oppose us, try to discourage us and try to undermine our efforts. Don't be surprised or discouraged by this. Point Baptist Church meets for Sunday school today at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, just off of Highway 377 next to Pate's Hardware, uh, right behind where they're building the new townhomes there on Early Boulevard. We'd love to meet you this morning, but if not, maybe sometime in the future. We'd also like to invite you to visit our website, pointtolife.wordpress.com. May God bless you.